Hey, Colleen. Hey, Hannah. So this is between a rock and a hard place, although it kind of looks like a storage closet. But seriously, we're here to talk about life in Iraq. Right. So we talk about a lot of things that are really frustrating on here. And I don't think we do that necessarily on purpose because we really like frustrating things. (laughs) Or that those are even the most memorable things. But often they create the funniest stories. It's true. Like, the whole hindsight is twenty twenty thing. <laughs> yeah. About frustrating moments. It is, it is hilarious sometimes. And honestly, I feel like we today are going to talk about the visa process. And that, that, because we all had to do it over and over again, we did gain, even in the midst of it, a sense of humor about it. And some of the ridiculousness and entertainment that we found in the process of getting our visas. Right. Humor as a coping strategy <laughs> for what really is, like, often very frustrating. Be- yeah. Partly because you can't do anything about it. I mean, the first visa you get is not frustrating at all. That stamp in your passport when you walk in, at least as an American, it's like, shazam, you can be here for either 14, 15, 30, I think 31 days. It depends on when you've gone. and Right. I think it's 30 days now. The only frustrating part of that for me was several times in the U.S. checking in for my flight if I was flying, like, from Atlanta to Turkey to Iraq. You know, it had my final destination in. And the lady in the check-in counter would be like, oh, I'm sorry, you've been flagged because I need to see your Iraqi visa. And I was like, that's, I'm not, I'm not going to Iraq, going to Kurdistan, and they just give me a visa when I get there. And she was always like, are you sure? I'm not sure I'm allowed to let you fly. Eventually, I just, like, started flipping through my passport and being like, see? 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 (laughs) I've done this a lot. And she, you know. Then believed you. They believed me. And sometimes they do change that up, too. Like, right. One time I had to, like, fill out a form and turn that in. Well, and now it's become more digital as well. I know the last time I went in, I had to get an eye scan and Mm -hmm. stick my finger and hand in a little scanner thing. and You have to do all five of your fingerprints. Yeah, I guess I had to do that the last time, too. But really, nothing more than you would expect going into any foreign country, right. really. Even coming back in the U.S., I've had to do that. That's like as a U.S. citizen. Yeah. Like, it's, it's fairly standard. It's when you want to stay longer than that original, whatever, tourist stamp visa, mm-hmm. that it starts to get more circus-like. And that is referred to as your ikama mm-hmm. or residency or residency because it's not really like it's not really a visa it is kind of a residency like it allows you to have a paying job so you have to have it if you're going to work in the schools yeah <laughs> and most of the time the schools were usually pretty helpful yeah about it i think now they're just like referring our staff to a lawyer rather than having you know the maintenance man walk through the process with you right or uh <laughs> the school like security guy i think one year my uh Asaish guy did it with me actually oh yeah yeah it was kind of fun it's fun to get to know him that way and as a reminder the Asaish are uh those are the like internal police Kind of like the FBI, but spyier. <laughs> like the FBI, the CIA, but also, like, live in your neighborhood. Right, yeah. 
it's 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 hard to explain them. Nice yes. guys, nice fellows. Yeah, I always liked them. So that process can be really complicated, in part because it's different every time. Yeah, so when we started talking about stories of how to do this, the stories that we all had were all different. And I feel like every time I went to get mine, it was different. So I had to get I had to get my comma both in Erbil uh-huh. and in Dehook, which I think led to some messes mm-hmm. when I moved to Dehook because mm-hmm. they were like, so you have this Ikama for Erbil Providence, but not for Dehook Providence. Province. Province. So we have to like go through all these other, like, I felt mm-hmm. like I had to go through other hoops that people who were only in Dehook or who had just come to Dehook didn't have to do. Hmm. And I don't know if that's like the Badini versus Sarani thing. But <laughs> the different political parties right. have to like make friends. But I think the one thing that was consistent for everyone was that you have to get a blood test. Yeah, that was like the first step was getting a blood test. Which really freaked some people out. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get freaked out by it, although I do struggle with needles. I can handle blood fine, wounds, all of those, but but needles do make me feel like I'm going to pass out, and I can't control it, but I let the guy know who we were being led through the process by most of the times I went actually was the same guy, our friend. He was great about it, but I, you know, I wanted him to know because... I didn't want to, like, pass out or something and have him freak out that I was having some sort of health problem or, you know, that would be a scene. The American girl, like, passed out in the visa compound. Oh, it is. <laughs> oh, did you see it happen? I'll save my story. You finish. <laughs> I never did. Oh, good job. Because our friend was very good at distracting me in the process. In fact, one of the times, my favorite one he ever did to distract me was, you know, I'm standing there, I'm not looking, she's got needles and things, not looking, and he says, Colleen, your visa, your your passport is expired. How did you get here? And I was like, my passport is not expired. There is no way my passport is expired. He's like, no, no, the date, it's right here. This is the date. It says, you know, it expired last month. And I was like, no, there's no way that this is expired. And then he grins at me and starts laughing. And my other coworker who was there starts laughing too. I think maybe he told him in advance what he was gonna do. And, you know, by then I blood draw was done. I mean, those, the ladies in there are very efficient. Yes. Super speedy. Yeah. So the incident that I ran into was with one of my roommates who we had been through the process before. I think we had gone home for Christmas and had to re-renew our ikama. And we had been through it before and she was kind of like, similar to you, she didn't like needles. Uh Uh-huh. But the first time it was fine, like the people doing it, super efficient, done, finished, out of there. The second time we went together and they had like a wall dividing the two chairs that we were sitting in. And I got mine done like lickety split fast. Got up and you know, you have to like walk out of the little trailer that they're in because someone else is coming in to get their blood done. And so I couldn't wait for her or go sit with her. And the guy that was helping us with the process at that point came out and found me and he was like, you need to come back in here. Oh no. And I was like, oh no, what's going on? So I went back in and whoever was trying to draw her blood did a terrible job. Oh no. Like this is the only time that's ever happened. 
normally it's just like fast uh-huh. and you're, you're out of there. Uh-huh. And I think this was like a trainee. And so she's sitting there just like weeping <laughs> about oh, like, no. he put her in my arm like four times and we still can't get any blood and I don't know what I'm going to do. And she was like freaking out. And so they brought around the guy who had done mine and they tried her other arm and he got it done like in a second. At this point, every Kurdish person is like crowded in there because the people <laughs> who were waiting to get their blood drawn have, you know, stood up and come to watch the drama with the blonde American girl who's freaking out. It was really traumatic for her, I think. We were able to like get through it though and get out of there. And like, she was normally a very cheerful person. And for the rest of the day, she was just kind of despondent is too strong of a word, but very like, emotionally like (laughs) emptied yeah most of the other people that have had objections to it are like worried about like i'm in this third world country what are they gonna do to me like is it gonna be sanitary is it gonna be clean and it is yeah they alcohol swab your arm they open a new needle like it's all very very clean and it was always reassuring to me, too, that, like, the reason they're testing their blo- your blood is they want to find out if you have, what is it, hep A, hep C, and HIV. HIV. And so, you know, if your blood tests come back clean, yeah. which mine always did. Always did. Never had anyone get flagged for anything. I feel like, oh, now I know at least. Disease-free, I guess. At least for those specific ones. At least for ones. those ones. It was years before I finally asked the guy who was helping us. I was like, so I'm assuming all of my tests have been clear since they let me stay. But, like, do you have copies of all of those? And he's like, oh, yeah, here. Here's your folder. And I looked through it, and it's like, all of them are pretty much the same. Like, yeah, nothing there. Okay. Yeah, because they're not, through this whole process, they're not telling you what they're doing. <laughs> or why. Or why. The only reason I knew they were testing for those things was I ended up asking our friend who's a doctor, like, mm-hmm. what are they doing? And she was like, oh, they're testing for this, this, and this. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Oh. But part of that also means that you can't get your ikama in one day mm-hmm. because they have to send that blood off and get it tested. So what usually happened was you would go through the process to that point, get your blood done, and then like go back to school or your whatever you were doing mm-hmm. before. And then like a week later, you would be brought back into the office to go through the rest of the steps. Yeah, there are an unusual number of steps and they're always a little bit different and it involves a lot of little pieces of paper with signatures and stamps. Mm-hmm. Honestly, again, because it was never explained and even some of the people I asked who knew couldn't really explain, they're like, this is just what you have to do. It's all shrouded in mystery, partly because it's ever-changing. And partly because it's bureaucracy. And I think partly, too, because they don't want people to know what kind of security they're they're running. Sure. I think usually it was about five or six different people that we had to either talk to, sit with, submit a piece of paper to, or get a stamp from. There was something we had to do at least that many times, sometimes more. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes partway through the process, we'd run out of, like, they needed more passport photos this time than they did last time. So then we'd have to, like, go out of this weird compound of trailers where all this happened. At least in Suli, that's what it was like. Go out and then get more passport photos taken from the guy with a little booth set up Mm -hmm. on the side of the road. 
come back with more passport photos. Yeah, I feel like I almost never had passport photos. Uh, and so we, in hook you had to go, like, downtown and get your pictures done. In Erbil, they just had a little guy with a printer mm -hmm. there that you paid him, and he would print out, like, 20 of your, like, little passport photos. And they always overexpose them so that you they look want really you look pale. pale. Ugh, One I, of like, them... They also, Kurds really like wide faces, and so, like, one of them, they also widened my face, and I already have a pretty wide face, mm -hmm. and so between the wide face and the the white glow, I joked that those were my moon photos. I remember in one of them, I was wearing a pink, like, v-neck shirt with, like, a white undershirt under it mm -hmm. to, like, bring the neckline up a little higher, and when he overexposed it, it just looked like... I had on a really low-cut shirt, oh, no. and he was like, oh, so I can crop this so that it's higher, and I was like, yeah, would you? <laughs> would you do that for me? Because that's definitely not what I was wearing. Yeah, so passport photos are a big thing. You gotta have those. Stacks of them. Stacks of them, right? I also feel like sometimes they would just keep them, like the passport photo people? No, no. Like, or the... you go through, and, like, sometimes your photo is attached to... Yeah, stapled to forms and forms. things. But I always felt like, I gave you, like, 20 of those. Are you really, like, stapling those to all the paperwork? Are they going in, like, a secret file of, like, American picture? Like, I don't know. I don't know. There's no telling where. It's but, true. How far or where all of our photos are. I just want to give you a friendly reminder that if you are at all interested in serving with us in Iraq, now is a great time to apply. It gives us lots of time to get to know you and for you to get to know us, and we can get you on the field. So if you're interested in applying, do it now, servergroup.org. But most of the time, you're just sitting in a waiting room, sometimes with a bunch of other people, sometimes by yourself, sometimes with the other people that you're with. When you go into the government buildings, they take your cell phone and you get like a pat-down search. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they'll confiscate everything you have with you. I never experienced that one. Sometimes but. they don't. Like, sometimes they don't care. There were, yeah, several times where it was just like, you can't take anything in with you. Which is awful because then you're just sitting there staring at a wall for two or three hours right and all of this like waiting it, it's waiting and then you meet with this person and waiting and then you meet with this person and waiting and you take a number so that you can wait some more mm -hmm. so that you can meet with that person mm -hmm. yeah and a couple times there was the like okay so you need to pay this person this much money and it's like you took everything from me <laughs> i have no money what do you want <laughs> So we would make up, if we were going with other people, if I was going with other people, we would make up games to amuse ourselves. Oh, yeah. Because there's only so much chit-chat that you can do. Yeah, Cause definitely. Because you, you also don't want to, like, complain or, like, talk about deeply personal issues because you're never quite sure who speaks English and... How many... I mean, and everybody is watching you and right. listening to you. Yeah. It's not like you're at all under the radar. Mm -hmm. I spy can only go so far. There's only <laughs> so much to look at. Concrete walls. Uh, person I have, at a desk. Right. I spy something sand-colored. Everything in this room. 
<laughs> yes! <laughs> I had a roommate that we would play uh, Wig Not a Wig. <laughs> this one's my favorite. Every time you talk about this, it makes me laugh. Which you would think in a country where the majority of the women had their hair firmly undercover, you wouldn't be able to tell. It wasn't the women's wigs that we were looking at. <laughs> I realized through this game that I have no concept of what real hair looks like versus fake hair. So you're um, not good at this game? I, I, I was not good at this game in the mm -hmm. beginning. I got better because I was trained for what to look for. There were definitely some men with some luxurious hair that was not their own. And here I just thought all Kurds had tons of hair. No, apparently not. Apparently not. They're just really good at wigs. So that was amusing. You couldn't do that for too long, though, because sometimes there weren't, like, enough people. Yeah, once you've done all ten people in your room that yeah. are all waiting as well. I always enjoyed the meeting of the other random foreigners, trying to have conversations and then realizing they only speak German. Okay. I used to, I spent a lot of time looking at shoes, because, mm. you know, you kind of, like, keep your gaze lowered, don't make eye contact with men kind of thing. And it is primarily men that are in these places. Right. And so I would watch a lot of shoes and mm -hmm. make assumptions about people and eventually, like, start making up stories about, like, <laughs> oh, this is what this person wearing these kinds of shoes, who they would be. So it was good for, like, my creative, creative thinking endeavors. I think I mostly went by myself or with one of my teammates who was notorious for only ever grading papers. Definitely had to find ways to amuse myself. I had one time into Hook trying to get my Akama, and I don't know what had happened at that point. So when you get your Akama, it's like a little driver's license card, mm -hmm. and you're supposed to keep it with you all the time. Um, you use it to get through checkpoints when you travel from city to city. You show it to them when you are leaving the airport and you can use it to even get back in right and not instead have to of do get that 30-day visa right and i think what had happened this time was i had been into hook for just like three months for like that little short visit and then gone back for the summer and when i left they took my ikama at the airport because hmm. i flew out of erbil and i think my ikama was expiring anyway so they they took it, and I was like, that's fine. I'm going to come back and live in Erbil anyway. I don't need my Dehook Ikama anymore. Except that I ended up coming back to Dehook. And so when I went to renew my Ikama in Dehook, this is the only thing I can think that caused this issue. They were like, why don't you have your Ikama? Where is it? And I was like, well, they took it from me at the airport. And they were like, they're not supposed to do that. Why did you leave it with them? And I was like, a man with a gun told me to give me <laughs> to give him my Ikama. So I gave it to him. Um, <laughs> but I ended up in like Ikama purgatory. Oh no. Where I think every day... It felt like every day for about three weeks, I ended up in the Akama office oh, no. for a couple hours at a time. Oh, and it wasn't always the same office. Like, I definitely got taken to the Asaish office, mm -hmm. which, like, they definitely take everything from you when you go in there. Yeah. And it is a big, like, the waiting room is, like, a big empty room with, like, four seats. Uh-huh. And a clock. And that's it. <laughs> I feel like they're gonna, like, take me down in the basement and interrogate me, which is what they ended up doing, 
but not in a mean way. <laughs> right. Like, they were spending that time, I think, trying to find someone that spoke good enough English to ask me these weird questions. <laughs> weird questions. Like, what does your father do? And my father is the director of a Christian summer camp. Which is not a concept that exists in Kurdistan. No! I was like, how do I explain this to you? He owns his own business? I think I said he runs his own business. Which is correct. Okay, He yep. does run his own business. He doesn't own it. Uh, that's a whole other thing that also inexplicable. Duh. Yeah. Mm-mm. And then they were like, okay, how long has he been doing that? I was like, oh, like 25 years? And they were like, oh, okay. What does your brother do? And I was kind of like, what does my brother have to do with any of this at all? But you realize that, like, your status as a person, your standing, has everything to do with what the men in your life do. Right. I realized this later. (laughs) And so my brother also works at the camp. And I was like, oh, he works at the same business as my father. Which is very respectable. Yes, very respectable. And (laughs) And they were like, oh, okay. And what did you do when you lived in America? And I was like, well, I also worked at the same business. (laughs) And, like, part of me was like, this sounds like it's not a believable story at all. Like, it's real, it's true, but, like, it doesn't sound believable. But he was just like, oh, okay. Family business. Family business. And, like, so you're a respectable person because you worked with your father and your brother at the same place. Yes. Okay. You didn't have, like, some weird job. <laughs> and I, yeah. And he asked me a bunch of other questions, like, where where was I born? Which I get. That's on my passport. How long had I been living in Kurdistan? Which I had to do, like, quick math for because I had that weird mm-hmm. thing. But I just remember coming out of that and being like, I don't understand any of why any of this is going on. Like, are they just trying to, like, verify my identity? Like, what's happening? You want to make sure you're not a spy for the other government party or something? I guess. I don't know. So finally, after too long of this, the administrator at the school called me into his office because I was missing work to do this. Right. And it was really frustrating. And he had some military guy that was a parent of one of the students, not even a student that I was teaching. And he was like, he introduced me to him. I don't remember his name. And he was like, this is Miss Hannah. This is what's been going on. Miss Hannah, I want you to know that he says he's, he's going to help you and get this taken care of. I have no idea what the administrator of the school did, what WASTA was exchanged to get this to happen, but I handed this guy my passport and, Mm -hmm. like, a letter from the school, and the next day, the administrator called me back into his office, handed me my passport, handed me my my Akama, and he was like, you're good for a year. And I was like, oh! how you did this but this is amazing and that you got it for a year because that's one thing we didn't touch on yet is that usually you have to go through a process of like the first one you get is three months and then you get one for six months and then you maybe get another one for six months and then you get a year and most people go through this kind of step-by-step process of longer and longer residency cards right I didn't for some reason. Mine were always a year. I had special so friend looking. Wasta or something. I don't know. Well, and we knew a family that, like, the husband got one year, 
The mm-hmm. wife got six months, and the two daughters each got three months. And you're like, but, but, the whole whole family is gonna stay together the the whole time. Right, you would think so, <laughs> but I guess they were kind of thinking like he has a full time job with a Kurdish company. Mm-hmm. The wife had a part time teaching job with a school, and the daughters were both I don't know late teens. Right. And I don't know if they figured maybe they'll send the daughters back to America or with the white. I don't. I don't know. But it was in a way <laughs> like they were kind of like, because you know he's not going to send his two teenage daughters to sit in government offices by themselves. No, he's still going to have to go. The husband is still going to have to go with everybody every time. It's also hot. It was never comfortable. I mean, sometimes we went in the winter. It was cold. You're there for hours. There's no water. I mean, sometimes they will bring you tea. Sometimes they'll sell you water. One of the places had like a little sandwich shop where you could buy a sandwich if you were hungry. One of the places did give us water. They gave us the water in those weird plastic cups cups with the peel off tops. Mm. But you also didn't really want to have to go to the bathroom. No, no. I'm not even sure if and where. There were bathrooms. I'm sure they existed somewhere. I didn't go to the bathroom there ever, but I, a couple other places, the both the Asayish and the courthouse, were interesting places to try to find bathrooms. Yeah. yeah. For women. <laughs> sure. The other interesting thing about applying for visas and all of the paperwork is the naming question. Oh, yeah. Because in the United States, we do first name, middle name, last name. Last name is a family name, you know, and most of the people we knew did not do that. There were a few people with, like, family or tribal names, but for the most part, your name was your first name, your father's name, and then your grandfather's name. I did see a couple that had, like, their great-grandfather's name also, mm-hmm. which made it really interesting when you were trying to fill out paperwork, <laughs> like, for the SAT, for right. example. Translating those into American paperwork is such a hassle. Right, but it's true the other way, too, like, translating mm-hmm. our names into Kurdish. Like, so, Hannah, what's your father's name? My father's name is Joel. And your grandfather's name? Is Russell. So your name is Hannah Joel Russell. Which is not what my name on my passport is. Oh, darn. You must be lying about who you are. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and then, like, because it's a very uh, phonetic language, mm-hmm. the spellings of the name... Like, Hannah, I was usually good. That's Hannah's a, a Kurdish... Arabic name. I was good. It was never spelled the way I spell it, but it's fine. They knew what they were doing. My middle name was confusing Mm -hmm. because it's mostly vowel sounds, Mm. and so they were never quite sure what to do with that. Mm -hmm. And then my last name has a silent C in it, so they would, like, look at it and be like, huh, why is this letter here? I don't know, man. My grandma says it's to distinguish us from the horse thieves. I... I don't know. And then, you know, you don't want to bring up horse thieves because, oh, your family has criminals. Yeah, but not the ones with a C in it. (laughs) Yeah, so I think some of my commas had Hannah Joel Russell, and then some of them had my actual legal name, but spelled wrong. Right. It was a mess, man. My favorite story was John's. (laughs) Yeah. Where he is in a line of people who are named 
son after father. Mm-hmm. And so they would ask him what his father's name, and it would be John. And then his grandfather's name was John. And so they're like, John, John, John. That is not anybody's name. No one would do that. And, it, I mean, it's true there. People don't name sons after fathers Mm-mm. for that very reason, I think. Right. At least mostly not. There were a few exceptions we ran into, but right. they're well, seen as oddities. There was a dentist. I think he was a dentist uh, in our city whose name was Yusuf, Yusuf, Yusuf. So his sign said, Yusuf, why Yusuf? You're never, no one's paperwork ever all looks the same. Yeah. Like, it's never a consistent And name. it's never a problem. Right. Like, it's always considered, oh, well, that's fine. Right. It's all right. If it's a few letters different, it's okay. No problem. It sounds kind of the same. So We know cool. it's you. Mm-hmm. Which then, when you get to, again, filling out the SAT form... And, you know, students are not allowed to enter unless their ID exactly matches what the form that they're trying to... The form that they filled out months ago. Months ago. Trying to convince the students to do that exactly right and that it mattered in this case was so challenging. Yeah. I always had a chuckle at what my little Ikama ID said my name was. Mm. It was always amusing to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would let my students look at it, and they'd be like, Ugh, miss, they messed up your name. And I'd be like, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I don't care. <laughs> it works. Yeah. It's all as long matters. as they let me live here, we're fine. And again, that Ikama is only good for Kurdistan, so we couldn't use it to get into Iraq. I also found that a lot of times if I gave my Ikama, especially at the city checkpoints like to get into a city if i gave them my comma rather than my american passport i would have to go through a lot more searching like they would actually make us pull over and like go through the car and want to get look in all my bags but if i gave them my american passport a lot of times it was like pull over let us look in the car go get a pat down but we're not gonna like unzip all your suitcases and the little pass through ones they would just be like oh you're american cool see ya I think I only ever gave mine with, like, the Ikama in the passport. Mm -hmm. That's how we always did it. And I'm not sure I ever had my car pulled over, searched, or anything in any way. They got real uh, strict about it in Erbil for a while. Ikamas are fun. If you know someone who is immigrating to the U.S. and they're going through that process, have a little sympathy for them. It is frustrating when you don't know what's going on or why. All of the unknown waiting the waiting where you don't know when the end is going to be or what is being accomplished or if anything is being accomplished while you wait because a lot of times nothing is being accomplished (laughs) until you're sometimes it's a tea break or it's like no no don't go in at this time because no one will be there because they're all out at lunch or you know people don't come in and open the office at the same time every day so you may have been able to get there at 8 the morning before, but today nobody's getting in until 11 because, wow, well, they have company or whatever. There's really no telling. It's true. It's kind of like see-what-happens adventure. I was, though, always grateful that it was generally a p- fairly painless process, and I always felt like I was going to get any comma because I had uh, especially South American friends mm-hmm. that they just, they didn't, have the political relationship that the U.S. has with Kurdistan. Mm -hmm. And so they're always like, I don't know, they might not give it to me. I might not get to stay. I might have to go back to Guatemala or 
Brazil or wherever. Yeah. The Brazilians were usually pretty safe because they're good soccer players. Right. Everybody but, wants the Brazilians. Uh, I was grateful too, for that. I think, too, the reputation of the schools and, and all of that relationship that they have with the governments in each of the cities, mm-hmm. I think, was also valuable in the visa process. You know, that it's an established a known place to work. Right. They know, yeah, this is why you're here. And Yeah, we've never had anybody not get their ECOMA. Had some emergency ECOMA adjustments. Yes. Because this is the other thing. Sometimes they'll change the laws about getting an exit visa. <laughs> like, I never, ever got an exit visa. Oh, really? Ever. I just showed them my ECOMA or showed them oh, my passport right, right. and they mm-hmm. let me through. We, I did have teammates that were leaving around the same time as me who did have to get exit visas. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think that was pretty short-lived. I, I think so, too. But there was a season where we had to have an Akama to exit. Mm-hmm. And so I actually lost mine somewhere on this bus trip between Suli and Erbil. We were flying out of Erbil. I had it when I left. Yikes. I never found it. Like, so I know it wasn't just in my house it was somewhere. Gone, gone. It was gone, gone. In Erbil, they would let you pay a fine if you didn't have your current ikama to get out. But I was told that in Suli, they wouldn't let you. Mm. I have seen people get pulled out of the ikama check line. In one case, these people were going to miss their flight, basically. Uh, but they were leaving, like, the day their ikama expired. At, like, their flight was leaving at midnight. Mm. And so, technically, they were overstaying their ikama. Even though they were getting through <laughs> passport control before that. Uh, so we frequently tell our staff, like, just make sure if your comma's running out that your flight leaves at least 24 hours before that. Right. Because you're still in the safe window. I don't know that we've ever had anybody get stuck. It usually all works out. That's the good news, is it usually all, all works out. out. The only other timing thing I know we've run into once was to get a visa into Turkey, like on your way out, your passport has to be further than six months away from expiration. Mm-hmm. And so someone had been in Iraq, then their passport got like four months or five months out from expiration, and they couldn't get their Turkish visa mm-hmm. to fly out back to the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> and so they ended up having to send their passport in, I think, to Baghdad or something to the consulate mm-hmm. to get update or something. Yeah. I think they do that. That was a bit of a hassle. We try not to let that happen yeah. anymore. If your uh, passport is within, I think, even a year, 30 days of expiring, they won't let you leave the U.S. But yeah, if it's within a year, we usually tell people, just, go ahead, get it renewed. Just renew it now. You don't want to have to deal with that. No. You don't want to get stuck somewhere. Get your passport. Yes. If you don't have your passport, get your passport. I feel like we've covered that before. I love looking at my old passports because it's full of all of those visas. Yes. And it's like... All the scribbles. Yeah. It's like a little travel journal of my life. Fill fill your passport. Don't just get it and like keep it in a drawer. Go out. See new places. <sighs> I need to travel internationally again. I know. You can find us at Servant Group International on Facebook or Instagram or on our website at servantgroup.org. Yeah, and if you have a question that we haven't answered yet, send us an email or Facebook message. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.